So one common question I receive about Christianity is this. Is the Bible trustworthy? Can you really trust the Bible and believe that everything that is here, everything that was written in this book, can you believe that it, it, it really happened in history? Because many people will say, well, some of it might be true, but there's a lot that is still uncertain. There are some things that could have been contaminated. Uh, actually, uh, Muslims, they believe that the, the Bible actually has been com- contaminated, and the only true way that you can understand the Old Testament is through the prophet Muhammad. And so there's some people who believe that because the Bible was written by man, because it was driven by man, the thoughts of men, there is possibility of corruption and, and pollution in, in the Bible. Now, some people will simply believe that the Bible is outdated. Some people believe that just the information itself is, is simply not accurate. And I think this is an important question because if you can't have confidence in God's word, then you can't have confidence in the Christian faith. Because everything that we discuss, everything that we believe in, really is driven by the, the word of God. We believe that this is true. We believe that this is the very word of God. We believe that this is authoritative. This is trustworthy. This is sufficient. That, that this is worthy of all our attention. That we should commit our lives to this, this word. And in order to have that type of belief, you have to, you have, to have confidence in, in the word of, of God. And so today, simply as we are looking at the opening verses of the Gospel of Luke, I would love to share what Luke says about his account of the Gospel and just some background information uh, about Luke. Luke actually wrote two books in the New Testament. Some might argue three because they try to make a case that Hebrews was written by Luke, but we know two for sure. It's, it's the Gospel of Luke and also the Book of Acts. Uh, it's volume one and volume two, two of the most longest books in, in the New Testament. In fact, those two books make up 28% of the New Testament. You add up all the letters of Paul, and it's only 24%. Although Paul wrote 13 individual letters, when it comes to volume, just sheer mass, it, Luke has, has written a lot more than, than Paul. And so we see that if we understand the writings of Luke, then we can have a clear understanding of the gospel, that this makes up a big chunk of, of the New Testament, more than one-fourth of the New Testament, what we, we believe about Jesus. We also know that Luke, as a person, was a doctor, a physician. I don't know if any of your parents been praying that you would be a, a, a man or woman like Luke, Luke but it says in Colossians 4.14, uh, Paul calls Luke the beloved physician the beloved physician. So he was a doctor. He was someone who had um, expertise. He was someone who, who took care of people when they were, they were sick. We also know that Luke was a close companion of Paul, the missionary. We know that um, in most of the missionary journeys that Paul went, went on, Luke was there. We know this because there are places in the, the book of Acts where it's, it's written, written in a very a personal way. way uh, the author uses the word we a lot, uh, trying to uh, communicate that, that the author is actually with Paul throughout this missionary journey. And so we see that Luke was very close with Paul. He followed Paul all, on all these missionary journeys. I understand why Paul would take Luke around because he gets so beaten up all the time. Uh, he gets persecuted. Uh, he's always under stress. So he needs a physician, right? A personal physician, a good friend. 
And so Luke is that good friend to Paul. He's so good to Paul, in fact, that it says in 2 Timothy 4.11, the last letter that Paul wrote, and this is when Paul is again imprisoned, but this time it's not, not under house arrest, but this time it's actually in a dungeon. He's, he knows that his time is up. Most people believe that after this, Paul was executed, so he knows that his, his time is short. And he writes in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Luke alone is with me. Luke alone is with me. So Luke is a very key figure in the New Testament. Like he was an important person to Paul, and he's an important person for us as well. So Luke is writing this, this um, gospel, this, this book. We also know that Luke most likely was a Gentile, meaning that he, he was not a Jewish person. He, he was a non-Jew. Uh, he, he, wasn't, he, he wasn't familiar with the, the, with, with the beliefs of Judaism and all that, the Old Testament. He simply was uh, someone who encountered the gospel probably along the way where Paul was sharing um, the name of Jesus in different places. And so he was a Gentile. And today he is writing this massive book to Theophilus. Now this is when you know that, that these two people are probably close. Now some people do believe that Theophilus is, is a made-up figure. That this Theophilus, uh, the name actually means um, someone who loves God. So they believe that this person simply represents anyone who loves God. The, the believers in Christ, that this, this is kind of for them. But uh, I think most people would believe that this is actually a person, a real person. Uh, we know this because Luke calls this person, oh, excellent, most excellent Theophilus, which was a common way to acknowledge Roman officials. So it is most likely that Theophilus is this figure who is in high standing, in high position, that he probably has a government job where he is high in the ranking, and so he's writing to his friend, Theophilus. We know that he's a friend because no friend, uh, if you're not a friend, you would never read a letter this long, right? Uh, just imagine, like, your friend gives you a letter for Christmas, and you, you open it, and it takes you, like, three, four, five hours to read the letter. That's that, and, and that's pretty intense. And so you see that most likely these two People, they were close. Some people even believe that Theophilus too uh, was converted uh, by Luke or maybe when Paul was with Luke. So there's a lot of different theories in that. But one thing that you have to understand is this. While Theophilus might be a real person, he does represent a lot of different people that Paul and Luke met during the missionary journey. If you see at verse 4, it says this, that you might have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So who is Theophilus? He's someone who was taught about Jesus. He knew stuff about Jesus. He had information about Jesus, and yet he does not have certainty. He does not have confidence in the things that he believes. So, so the, what Luke says is, well, just to make sure that you are clear, just to make sure that you can believe in, 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 with certainty, with confidence, I write this to you. So Theophilus was not someone who was blind to the truth. He was actually exposed to the truth, and yet he didn't have clarity of what was true. He believed in Jesus, and yet his belief was fairly shallow. And I think that's a problem that we struggle a lot of times, really, uh, with, even within the church. Many who have grown up within the church would say that I heard a lot of different stories in the Bible. I'm familiar with all these figures. And your problem is not that you don't have enough information. Your problem is that you don't have certainty about the information that you have. 
that you're not sure if this is actually real. You're not sure if this is worthy of your trust. And so, really, Luke is addressing his friend who is struggling to really, really believe, to commit to this truth of the gospel. And so I think that's encouraging to us because many of us have the same struggle today as well. So to this Theophilus and to us, Luke is simply going to make two statements in today's passage. The first one is this. Number one, the story of Jesus is trustworthy. The story of Jesus is trustworthy. Look at what Luke says in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. That's a very hard way to say that there's a lot of different writings and records about the things that took place right now, about Jesus, about the early church. And so that's what Luke is referring to, that, that people are, are well aware of, of Christianity. They are well aware of this movement where people are trying to share about Jesus, about his resurrection. So, so that's something that is obvious. It's out there. It's in public. People are aware of this information. But Luke is saying today that, that the stories that you hear, the stories that you read in this gospel, these are not man-made stories. These are not just random stories that were put together. But these stories are, are trustworthy. Now, how many of you remember where you were during 9-11? Okay, a couple of you. Yes, that's when you know uh, you've been here for more than 22. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been 22 two years now, right? Since 9-11. I mean, yeah, a little bit less than 22 years, but it's been quite a while since 9-11 took place. Still, I remember it like yesterday. Just watching it on TV. Uh, yes, not on a smartphone, on TV, like live. It, 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 was, it, was, it was something else. Now, what would happen if I went on the internet today? I, I, I write up a story. I say 9-11 took place in Washington, D.C. Uh, there are these people who hijacked a, a helicopter and it crashed into the Washington Monument. And many people died while they were underneath the Washington Monument. Like, would that make the news, or would that circulate in public right now, today? Absolutely not. People will think I'm crazy. Why? Why wouldn't that register with people? Well, it's because not only do we have all these records of 9-11 and footage of 9-11, but we actually have people who lived through 9-11. We have people who were there in New York City who walked miles and miles away to, to avoid all the chaos and confusion in New York City, escaping the city. We have people who lost family members uh, due to 9-11. We have survivors of 9-11, and you can go talk to them. And therefore, for me to come up with a, a wacky story and alter the story that is actually true, it's, it's going to be really, really hard. Even now, after 22 years, that's a very difficult task. Now, Luke is writing his gospel 30 to 35 years after Jesus died on the cross. 30 to 35 years. What does that mean? It means that most likely Mary's still alive. There are people who are at the cross that are still alive. Apostles, are, 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 uh, a lot of them are still around. And what Luke says is, in verse 2 is this. Just as those 
who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. So what he's saying is the information that we have about Jesus, the stories that we have about Jesus, these are not just random stories, but these are stories that are coming from eyewitnesses, people who walk with Jesus, people who saw Jesus, people who experienced the miracles of Jesus, who who saw Jesus in his resurrected form. You can go talk to them. No, Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul, by the way, when he was writing his, his letters, he wrote probably around like 15, 20 years after Jesus' public ministry, meaning that there's even a shorter amount of time between the events of Jesus and his, his, his time of writing, meaning that it was super hard for him to alter any truth. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. Many people saw Jesus after the resurrection, At one point, even 500 people saw Jesus in his resurrected form. And he writes in that letter, in 1 Corinthians 15, you can actually go talk to these people. If you don't believe me, go just talk to these individuals and see if I'm saying the truth. Because what he's trying to say and what Luke is trying to say today is this. What you have in your hands, especially the New Testament, it's not a myth. It's not just a legend. It's not a man-made story, but if you can appreciate history, this has historical value. That This is pretty reliable. If you can believe that Alexander the Great was real, which Alexander was born way before Jesus, his first biography was written 400 years after he died. And yet, at school, you learn that Alexander the Great is a real historical figure, and you firmly believe that. I'm not saying that that's, that's false. I'm simply saying that if you can believe that is true, how much more confidence can you have in the records of the New Testament about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? The time between the records that we have and, and the life of Jesus is way too short to be altered. That's, that's my point. But it's not just that Luke has firsthand information and knowledge uh, where he can really test these things. But he himself, he says that I carefully examined these things. That I'm not just saying that I went around and talked to a bunch of people, but I did my part too. I did my studies. I compared these interviews. I compared all the information that I have with what I saw. And so it says in verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. So he examined everything closely. He conducted a close investigation, a full-on investigation on the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Many people believe that the reason why you see such a detailed account of the birth story of Jesus. Now, John does not have um, any information about the birth story of Jesus. Mark begins with really Jesus' public ministry. Matthew is the only gospel that really, uh, other than Luke, has sufficient information about Jesus. But Luke is the main, main gospel that provides us the story of Christmas. How is that possible? How can Luke write about what's going on in Mary's heart at that time, how she is feeling, how she, people are afraid, and how their fear turns into great joy? It's most likely because Luke talked to Mary. Many people believe that. that, that that's the only way that Luke can speak in such detail in his account. So he says that I examine all these things. I'm presenting to you something that has been tested, and it says in verse 3, and he writes an orderly account for you. That he's carefully investigating, and now he carefully put together a masterpiece where you can trace 
and, and understand exactly what Jesus was trying to do in this world. So you have a full, complete account of the life of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? That you can have confidence in God's word. When people say that when you believe in the Bible, you, you're not logical, that you're irrational, that, 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 that you don't know how history works. Now, I would question them, like, do you know how history works? The story of Jesus is, is trustworthy. But number two is this. Because it's trustworthy, you can follow him, Jesus, with full certainty. Because Jesus, his story is trustworthy, you can follow Jesus with full certainty. That's the point that, that really Luke is trying to make in verse 4. He says to Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, one thing I like to do when I go on to YouTube is sometimes you have uh, experts breaking down movie scenes. And so uh, one time I saw this climbing expert, um, and, and he was breaking down all these different movie scenes uh, from different movies. Uh, for example, Mission Impossible. Is it actually possible to, to hold on to, to that grip and, and climb in such a way? And, and it's so cool how this professional climber is breaking down all the different techniques. You also have a Navy SEAL breaking down all the, all the combat scenes. And is that real? Does that really happen in, in, in a war setting? You sometimes have professional chefs breaking down different footage of cooking in movie scenes. My favorite one is doctors, right? Doctors trying to break down medical scenes and also injuries that take place in movie scenes. It's like someone ran into a car, and the next thing is like they're still walking. They're still chasing. Like they're in a hospital one day, they're out the next day, and the doctors, what they do... Uh, on those clips is they, they just like dissect the, 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 the movie scenes. They're like, this is false. Yeah, this is probably not true. Yeah, this is over-exaggerated. Like all the things that you see on those medical kind of dramas that you see, how people are able to like just kind of, I don't know, grab a blood vessel with their hands or something like that. Yeah, that's probably not true. And so it, it kind of exposes all the faults that exist in the movie scenes. Wouldn't it be great if there was an expert who could do that for the Bible, uh, uh, someone who is such an expert that they can expose everything that is false and unreal about, about the story of Jesus, that you can have more certainty about what to believe and, and, and see what's kind of over-exaggerated, well, guess what? Luke is the expert. Remember, Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. And what amazes me is this, that that his gospel contains more miracles than any other gospel. That as a doctor, as a physician, he didn't say, well, let me look at all these other resources. Let me take out some of the healing stuff. Casting out demons. Oh, no, no, no. That, we didn't learn that on the, science, the textbooks. Like, like calming the, the wind. No, that, that's, that's, that's not something a normal person can believe. Like, no, Luke didn't do that. With his expertise, with all his scientific knowledge, with all his background, what he says is the only way that you can explain this is actually that, that Jesus is God, that he has healing power, that, that he can do the miraculous. And Luke is giving us an expert account of all these miracles, these supernatural stories of, of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? that you can have confidence in a lot of these things. Sometimes he names all these different diseases and he kind of explains what the, these diseases are. And so a lot of the information about these diseases, we get it from Luke. And so I appreciate that about Luke. But another thing that I love about Luke is this, that he's a Gentile, that he doesn't have much um, Old Testament background. At least when he first believed, he didn't have much Old Testament 
background knowledge. And one excuse that we commonly make is this. I don't, I don't know enough about the Bible to understand the Bible. That I don't know enough about the Old Testament, all the laws and all the promises to, to understand the significance of, of the, the, the passages of Scripture. And what Luke does is he makes things so simple. Because he himself did not have that background because he knows that he's speaking to Theophilus who is a fellow Gentile too. So he's not as well equipped into all these Old Testament backgrounds. You read Matthew, it's, it's like verse after verse being quoted. It's like allusions of the Old Testament, typology of the Old Testament. Like it's really hard to interpret it without having a solid understanding of the Old Testament because Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience. Luke, on the other hand, he's writing to Gentiles, just normal people people who don't have much information about Jesus. And he's saying that you can believe. That's why we love the story of the prodigal son, right? Luke 15. Because we can actually understand the story. Like, you don't have to go guess what is the Jewish tradition in this story. No, like, it's so straightforward. Anyone, even, even someone who's never been in church, you tell that story and it's going to hit their heart. Because it's such a simple, easy story. And Luke's make the, Luke, he makes things so simple for us. And I'm so excited to walk through this gospel this, this next year. But another thing that I really, really appreciate about Luke is this, that he's not just an incredible historian. He's, he's not just a precise physician, but he's a missionary. He's an evangelist. And also he's a pastor that he cares about your heart. What he's trying to do is not just communicate information, but he wants you to have a real encounter with Jesus. Just imagine... Uh, just Luke, you know, sharing this story with Theophilus as he's, he's writing these things. Like, as he is saying, the Son of Man came to seek the, and save the lost. Like, like his heart is, is beating for the lost. And he's thinking about the people, all the people who are going to read this book, who never heard the name of Jesus, that are going to commit their lives to Jesus. He's thinking about the people who are going to have that experience in Luke 24, where two disciples on mass, um, the road to uh, Damascus Road, they, that two disciples, they encounter Jesus and, and they are wondering what scripture is all about and Jesus all of a sudden appears and he, he just lights a fire in their heart and helps them understand that all scripture is pointing to me. Like Luke is that person that he's not just saying, oh, here's the historical facts, so believe. No, he's saying that it is through these accurate accounts of Jesus that you actually get to encounter the person of Jesus. And when you encounter the person of Jesus, your heart can never be the same. It can never be the same. So he's speaking as as a pastor. And he's encouraging us to really dive into God's word. No, Luke, if you think about it, he spent all his life investigating the life of Jesus to see if this is really true and trustworthy. And he's giving us his, his life works like this is it, that this is something that he wants us to take away. And he says that not only is it worth pursuing um, Jesus and knowing Jesus all my life, but I think it's worth it to share this with someone else, that Luke was willing to take the time. Imagine writing this gospel, like how hard it must be. We struggle even when we have to write like a five-page paper. Like we try to use double space, like, right? Mess around with like the margins and everything because we, we have a hard time writing papers. Luke, he's willing to share all this because he has a heart for the lost. And one desire that he has is this, that you may know Jesus, encounter him, believe him, trust him, and follow him. 
You know, I shared this uh, during the retreat with our youth, but um, a lot of people ask the question, how can you bring up a gospel conversation with someone who's not interested in the gospel? Or how can you evangelize to someone who is of a different faith that they simply don't want to hear about God? And to that, I will respond, well, you can explain the the historical reliability of the Bible. You can talk about how the resurrection account is, is quite amazing and that's something that is trustworthy. You can talk about how amazing the sacred writing is compared to all the different sacred writings. And you can talk about how you know, miracles can actually you know, take place in this world. And you can do all that and go into culture and all those different things. But at the end of the day, even if Christianity makes complete sense, the question is, would that person really follow Jesus? There's an evangelist who always asks the question to atheists. Before we start a question, uh, this conversation, if Christianity was true today, if I was able to prove that it is absolutely true to, to you today, would you follow Jesus? Would you believe in God? And they would say no. Most people would still say no. Do you know why? Because what they're struggling is, is, is not up here. It's, it's down here. They're not struggling because they don't understand everything. They're struggling because they don't want to accept what they see. Because when you begin to see that Christianity is true, what gets exposed is your sin. What gets exposed is that all your life you've actually been wrong. Right? You thought you were living a pretty good life. The Bible tells you, though, that you are not just bad, but you're evil that you are a sinner in need of a savior, you're destined to to face God's eternal judgment, that you don't deserve one bit to be in heaven or to be with a holy God, that you have no righteousness within you and all those words. And then that's a hard pill to swallow, to acknowledge that you need someone to help you. That's a hard pill to swallow for me. Like I even have a hard time to ask, uh, asking people about uh, even a small favor, right? To ask Jesus for help, to save me, to to, to do the righteous work for me, that in itself is also kind of humbling. The other thing uh, about all of this is that after, okay, you acknowledge that you're a sinner, after you acknowledge that, okay, I'm in, in need of a Savior, you have to acknowledge that, okay, Christ has to be your Lord, that he has to be your king. And that's when people go, okay, like, I, I don't want a king. Like, why would I want a king? when I can do what I want to do in my life. And so do you see, when you get into these conversations, when you are struggling with your faith, you have to really ask yourself, are you really struggling? Because the word of God is not trustworthy, because you can't trust the stories of Jesus. Or is the reason why you're holding yourself away from Jesus, is it because of sin? And what Luke is going to do is this, that he's going to expose your sin in these next coming months, but he's going to tell you, that Jesus came to save sinners. That he didn't come for, for the, the healthy, but he came for the sick. That he came for broken people. And he is willing to restore those broken lives. In Luke, you have multiple encounters where Jesus is having conversations with these people, broken people. People that Pharisees will never have a meal with, and yet Jesus is sitting with them. Why? Because he wants to reconcile them back to God. Our youth know what that word means now after the retreat. But he wants to restore people who are lost back to God. And you might say, well, I'm not lost. I want you to answer three questions. Number one, where do you come from? 
well, you say, well, duh, my, my, my parents gave me birth. But no, like, where does life come from? What are you supposed to do right now? What's your purpose in life? What, what are you supposed to do in the present? What's going to happen to you after you die? Can you confidently answer those three questions? Most people will say, where do I come from? Well, I'm not too sure. Maybe evolution, maybe something. Not, not too sure. What are you supposed to do right now? Well, I know what I want to do right now, but what am I supposed to do right now? I'm not sure. What would happen to me after, after this life? Not sure. If you don't know where you come from, if you don't know who you are right now, if you don't know where you're going to go, that's a definition of someone who's lost. And apart from Jesus, every single one of us, we're lost. But the good thing is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And so my prayer is that you will be excited this, this next coming once about the gospel of Luke, that, that you would approach this book with an open heart, with an open mind. And not only that you would gain information from this gospel, but you would deeply fall in love with Jesus and live for his glory. Amen? Let's pray.